It is 8 a.m. in New York, 3 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 8 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Shenander Bean from sundaybean.com, and I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations. And I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. So what would you give up first? before your phone. Coffee, bathing, sex. You might be surprised, or maybe not, that I came across a survey on the internet about iPhone users, and 40% they'd give up coffee before they would their phone. 18% said they'd give they'd stop bathing every day. And 15% said they'd rather give up sex. I think we have a problem with our phones. That says so much because we are adults and we're making good decisions and we still would rather go without bathing than our phone. Coffee, I think, is a really hard dilemma and don't make me choose between my phone and my coffee, by the way. Grown adults, educated good problem solvers, solution-oriented, rational, right? And we struggle with phone addiction. Here's the thing. While we're doing that, we're telling our kids to put their iPads away. We have our own problems, but what are we creating with our children? Studies show that excessive use of technology can chemically and structurally change our children's brains. And think about it. I mean, when I was a kid, I would play on Pac-Man. My dad would give me, you know, rolls of 25 cents, um, you know, quarters in the U.S. And I would play this game for an hour every, I don't know, three months when I got near a big Pac-Man game. Things are changing, times are changing, and the demands that are put on us as parents are changing. As a parent of two young boys, I can't tell you how often I think about this. This is probably on the top of my parenting questions is how do I handle technology in the home so that my kids use it responsibly for school, for assignments, for learning, for entertainment, but not that they stumble across things that are deeply inappropriate or start engaging in games that are going to change the way that they engage in the family and with others. I know I'm not alone. So what I have done today for Expat Happy Hour is I have invited a specialist who can help us understand how we can work with our kids and tech so that we're feeling good about how we're raising our kids today. It is my heartfelt pleasure to welcome Dr. Laura Anderson back to Expat Happy Hour again. You might recognize her from a previous episode where we talked about gender expansive kids. She's back as a clinical child and family psychologist who is specialized in serving globally mobile families. And today, she is going to share with us her growing expertise on screen use with kids. 
I had the pleasure of working with Dr. Anderson in Bangkok during a presentation that we did together on technology and how we can leverage it for the good as globally mobile families and what we can do to avoid the bad. So Laura, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome back to Expat Happy Hour. Thanks for having me Sunday. It's wonderful to be here again. So listen, today's topic is on, I'm pretty sure, every single parent's mind. My sixth grader came home this year with a MacBook. They have screen time in school. Now they're doing their homework on their computers. And much of it is legit, right? Multimedia, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like my kid has access to a Google, like a Gmail account, a laptop, and the internet. And I'm scared. <laughs> so tell us, I've invited you on to talk about screens in teens or tweens and younger, right? We want to know as parents, especially parents who are living abroad and are interacting with people from all over the world with different cultural backgrounds, different priorities, we might even use our screens as a little bit of a babysitter in transitions when it's hard to sit in a hotel or an empty house with no container, right? <laughs> Tell me, let's start with the stuff that scares the pants out of us. What should we as parents need to know about our children and screens? Wow. Yes, it's one of those... I'm trying to hit that sweet spot where today people live with the idea that they should probably be a little scared. They should be mm -hmm. a lot of scared because um, we're getting more and more information about how much um, impact technology and screen time and the various risks associated with some of those screen times can really impact development. But I also want people to leave today with a sense of, you know, there are things they can do. So it's definitely like heavy hitting when you really dive into the to the numbers and the and the quote problems that come out of issues with screens. And um, yeah, stick with us because there's things to do. So I think one of the things that stands out for parents for me right away is just usage and, and what we know about use. I think the first thing to say is, um, in addition to other issues around tech, a lot of people don't understand that a lot of too much technology, use and we'll talk about too much and what the research shows, leads to actual changes in the brain, both chemically and structurally. We can see wow. brain change um, in parts of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, parts of your brain shrink is the best that they're able to tell us right now. And um, it can lead the way the brain changes can lead to um, lower reports of happiness, worse sleep, worse concentration, moods that are all over the place, um, not being able to complete stuff they start, and then like you know agitation and irritation with other people in your life, and that is not just oh. yeah. <laughs> 
go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, how do we tell the difference between adolescence <laughs> and these negative signs? That's great. I was like, and that may sound like adolescence to you. <laughs> so, yes, I, I think what you'll start to see are some other indicators. We pair those with other indicators of like when you know your kid is is really kind of tied to their device. So there's two ways that we look at what's problematic. One is just straight up time of use and how much use. And because um, that, that will give you some indication of the likelihood that the brain structure is changing. Two mm-hmm. is the behaviors that your, your kid has around their um, tech use. So we know right now, for instance, some of the scary stats with... Um, screen time is that very recently common sense media here in the States did a, did a little bit of research and surveys and found that eight to 12 year olds these days in the States. And I would agree with you Sunday. I think from my experiences in and out of expat living, I would say these numbers are higher from globally mobile families because of some of those factors you mentioned. My experience was that it's the great news is it's a beautifully tech savvy world. Our kids are going to be super proficient to navigate the way the world has become reliant on tech technology. And I think uh, my experience directly has been that um, communities who are far flung and pe- people who are trying to stay connected with loved ones spend a lot more time. And our kids, kids in international schools have a lot more learning online than many other places. So know that these stats that I'm about to say are typically US based and imagine then if they're even more exaggerated for um, kids in a nomad community, global nomad community. So Right now, 8 to 12-year-olds are um, most recently surveyed to be on a device of some kind four hours and 44 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Oh, easy when you yeah. look at the screen time at school, school. and their homework. And that's, and that's what they talk about. They actually say, like, when you look at it, there's school and homework going on, and that some of it, the, they're still teasing them out because when you pull the data together, some of it includes school and homework, or the best estimate of school data, and this four hours and 45 minutes is estimated in addition to that. So mm. that's, I know, right? So that's a lot of time. And they find that really when you talk to kids and ask them what they're doing and get them to rate it, kids say they're spending 70% of their time watching passive videos. Kids report 70%. So we can guess that's also higher. <laughs> if the kids- oh, I'm so sorry. I need to vent right now. Like I know I'm kind of like 1982 right now, but when you are watching other people watch other people play a game, yeah. There has to be something wrong with that. So, so right. And here's the other dilemma that parents face is that most of us hold a fair amount of judgment about elements of what our kids are doing. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I do. And then, and it's understandable. And it also, as we'll see, you know, we have to find ways to join them about this because much to my chagrin as a person who's not a, you know, a tech native, this is not going away, right? So it's, Mm -hmm. this is, we are in it. It is not going away. We as families and um, parents have got to figure out how we are going to stay in relationship to our kids while they are trying to navigate finding moderation because we know eight to 12 year olds are getting almost five hours. um, And a recent survey here in the States also said that 20%, so one in five of eight-year-olds already had their own smartphone. 
So now you have a wow. portable device that adds to the dilemma of being able to, to, to check, to turn off, to check away, to turn away from the, the device in front of you. And then mm-hmm. the most recent data on 13 to 18 year olds was seven hours and 22 minutes a day. Okay, wait a minute, because you and I did a presentation together in Bangkok where you talked about the hours where the brain starts to change and isn't seven. Mm-hmm there where the brain is already being impacted? Exactly. The best research we have now says seven hours of screen use at a time over time is the tipping point at which we can say there are actual changes in the structure of the brain um, that contribute to what I was mentioning. Um, Decreased mood, so more unhappiness, worse sleep, difficulty concentrating and finishing things. And then kind of emotionally being all over the place. And I know we talked about how that's, those are many of the hallmarks for adolescents. Um, and yeah, because they're this, that part of adolescence is a part of growing, um, growing brains. And like I always say, building bridges in your brains basically is a big thing what adolescence mm-hmm. is doing. And what tech use will do is, is really limit some of that, that, that um, bridge building if there's really high exposure over time. So um, we know that there are structural changes. We also know that there are chemical changes. Um, It's not just structural. There are also, here's the thing that I think is important for parents to understand, or another thing that is important for parents to understand, is that in in addition to the actual changes in the brain um, structure, you also have changes in brain chemistry. And tech use and invigorating and exciting, constantly changing imagery, games that you're into, they um, impact the brain. They utilize, to, to take them in and to process them, they utilize, they use the same combinations of pathways in the brain. Um, the, it's the pleasure pathway and the reward center. Those are the same pathways in the brain associated with other addictions, with cocaine addiction, um, drug addiction, sex addiction, any, any addiction that we're learning more and more about involves two main pathways, pleasure pathway and reward center, we call them. And, and it's the same. It's the it's same. crazy. It's insane. So right now I feel like I want to just say hello to all the children that are listening because their moms and dads <laughs> have sat them down and made them listen to this replay because hello, honey, I'm going to make you listen to this <laughs> after it goes live. Children need to understand how serious this is. Um, it's nuts. And I... Ugh, You know, there's going to be people who say, yeah, yeah, there's always resistance to technology. People thought that the telephone was going to ruin relationships. And then people thought the TV was going to ruin the family. So people are going to discount that too much tech is going to make an impact. But it's really hard to ignore brain science. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. I'm taking like I need to take like a little breath right now because I'm getting all hyped up. This this topic is making me crazy. And I um what we do on Friday night, we do movies. And 
um, it's always like, you know, there's an age difference with my boys. So there's a fight around what are we going to watch? And I'm like, you guys, tonight it's like 1982. We are going to watch one movie, the whole family. And I feel, and not you on your device and you on yours and on demand. You know what I mean? Like, and it just makes me feel like we're also ingraining this on demand um, <sighs> habit when they're constantly getting immediate reward from their tech. Yes, and we're doing that behaviorally and we're doing it brain wiring. We're doing it both yeah. ways. <laughs> we're, t- we're teaching them that they can immediately, that they can gratify you know, themselves immediately and they can feel good and they don't have to be uncomfortable for any length of time because they're right. going to be able to do exactly what they want to do quickly. And we're creating that in the brain circuitry in terms of constant rewards and they get dopamine rushes. I mean, all the chemistry behind bursts of of happy chemicals in their brains when they're doing something they like. And that lends itself to needing more and more and wanting more and, and getting more and more time, which just creates this feedback loop. So yeah, we're doing it's so both. serious. Why do you think, why aren't more people talking about this, Laura? I, I think it's a really, you know, it's a, we know technology is a double-edged sword. I think we've all come to rely on it. I also think the grownups myself included sometimes who should be having these conversations are looking at our screens <laughs> yeah. because we've all right. got, I mean, we've all got, if you look at adult use in the States was up to almost 10 hours or something. Right. So we, yeah. and I don't know about you, but there have definitely been times when I'm, um, you know, trying to police, you know, I've heard myself say out loud to my son, you know, when, well, when you start paying the mortgage with that screen, then we can talk as he's calling me out for being on the screen mm-hmm. and doing things. And yeah. I think, I, I think we're just starting to get the research. Um, people are resistant to naming it because we love tech and because we love it. We do and we need it. And, and globally, no, you know, nomadic families, need it. We need it to stay connected to other people. You need to stay connected to resources, local resources, FaceTiming old friends. Um, you know, I mean, there's, as you mentioned, you know, in transition, keeping kids busy while you're managing 6 million life details. Um, and I think it just, we, we're resistant because we're, we're almost scared to go there, I think, with ourselves right. and our kids. Right. Right. The other morning, my son goes to me, mom, can we just have a tech-free morning? Because I was like making eggs and checking my phone. And I thought, oh my gosh, my sixth grade son is totally calling me out right now. Like, wake up, call. Okay, so this is honestly just one. Like, you already have me at hello. Like, we're <laughs> the brain changing, the chemistry changing freaks me out. But I know there's more. You talk about six key risks. Yes. What else is there? So we also know that depression rates have steadily climbed since I think it was 2000 and yeah, major depression among 16 to 21 year olds more than doubled from 2009 to 2017. 2009 is seen as kind of a hallmark moment in our history when, when handheld devices were sort of largely introduced. And there were some studies report as much as a 70% increase in depression and anxiety in teens. And we're really trying to get to the bottom. I mean, it can't only be one factor, but one of the main ways of thinking about it is that um, what we know is a big stressor for teens is social comparison uh, leading Mm -hmm. to depression and anxiety. 
and although we tend to see the research shows that girls are especially impacted by this, so so they're comparing their life to the Kardashians or they're comparing their bodies and faces to the, to the tons of Photoshopped images they've seen, or they're looking at their friend's life that looks so glamorous and enticing because nobody posts the, the fever of a hundred and, and the, you know, it, you just don't do that. You pick your best life and put it on blast and everybody knows your best life isn't your real life uh, ultimately. So um, that, Depression and anxiety is a big part of this. And we know there is more and more research showing the more time your kid spends on screens, the more likely they are to endure symptoms of depression. Okay. So we've got brain changes, chemical changes, depression, anxiety. So compare and despair. Yes. What else? Um, online, just online bullying, exclusion. So you have mm-hmm. the, the comparison that kids are doing on their own to other people. And then you have the the, the stress and the strain and the exclusion and hurtful words and things that are that are happening um, online. And I, I will say too, this is another thing I hear lots of parents know to be worried about that and to be talking to their daughters some about that. But I've spent a fair amount of time uh, on school campuses. And I, you know, boys, boys are involved in this as well. They are definitely doing it. There are a lot of social issues that would come up because of things that were said in chats offline overnight or online overnight, and then it comes into school. And so there's a lot of active harm to people's spirits and self images Mm -hmm. being done, um, both with passive exclusion. Like I often say back in the day, when I was, uh, you know, a kid in high school, I didn't get invited to, to lots of things because nobody gets invited to everything, but I just didn't know about it all the time because I wasn't seeing all the cool right. pictures posted afterwards uh, as as intentional statements sometimes. So um, right. exclusion and bullying happen. That's another key risk. Okay. Oh, it's just terrible. I think about that, like, you know, any bullying that went on, you know, in high school or grade school was as fast as whispering could happen down the hall, <laughs> not marked forever digitally, right? Yeah. I'm glad they didn't have social media in college. Just another <laughs> side note there. Okay. Um, what else? Um, the one that people think about most often is predators, right? And it's interesting. This is, we teach our mm-hmm. kids, you know, the stranger danger and, and, um, and you, it could be, not who you think it is approaching you online and now you're giving them tons of information. Um, and that, and that is still a very real risk, right? All the, all the, um, ability for folks to find our kids based on their snap maps and et cetera, et cetera. So, so the reality is it is still a risk for folks that people are online, very unwell individuals are online posing as kids and learning about our kids and, um, and potentially ending up in, in, with our kids in extremely unsafe situations. So predators are, mm-hmm. the, you know, people go to that first. They think that's the primary um, danger involved in lots of social media. And it is still a danger, but it's not um, the primary or the only, I would say. You know, when I was in Switzerland, um, I don't know, 2016, there was a child in Switzerland who got abducted and brought to Germany. And the man found this 12-year-old boy 
via Minecraft. And it was this huge thing. I was, you know, following the news with my son because it was, you know, he's missing. Where is he? And then the, when it came out where he was and how he got abducted, it was such a wake up call for my son of this isn't something that just happened in, you know, 1970. This is still going on and in in places that we play. Right. right. So it, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Whew, we got to get through the other risks fast because I'm going to vomit. Um, and I want to offer some hope. What are the other ones? <laughs> the last two are the gaming, gaming addiction, highly addictive. Um, and, and the question, how do you know the difference between somebody who likes to game a lot and somebody who's addicted? Um, we can chat about that. I think, you know, the stats on, on how quickly gaming is becoming increasingly addictive and isn't just a pastime, but is, um, you know, we're finding more and more kids. Estimates are as high as like 40% actually in parts of Asia around gaming addictions estimated mm-hmm. to have folks that are that are needing more and more game time are cranky when they can't have it, um, lie and cheat and uh, are dishonest. Good kids, good kids, dishonest to their parents about use and try to cut back but can't. And notice that they're mm-hmm. cranky and go through really honestly withdraw. It's, it's like a withdrawal. Um, when they're mm-hmm. when they're not on it, um, so gaming addictions um, are we, in some ways the easiest thing to draw, or an easy. The next one is to an easy thing to draw parallels to our classic kind of addiction model with the brain changes and the happy chemicals and and kids wanting more and more to get back to their. Um, baseline of a good mood uh so gaming addictions are definitely they tend to fall the 15 to 16 year old boys are the greatest risk for gaming addictions where interestingly enough girls um risk for for truly unhealthy relationship to media is phones so phones mm -hmm, girls tend to find themselves attached to their phones in unhealthy ways and boys end up by age 15 or 16 at pretty big risk for gaming addictions okay and so you left this last one last on purpose didn't you (laughs) (laughs) i did i wasn't sure how you were going to work into the title that this week we're going to be talking about pornography with our children (laughs) right this is something i i don't want to even think it's an something my kids will ever get exposed to, but I'm not naive. You told me um, when we were doing the research for our conference in Bangkok that by age nine, most kids have been exposed to porn online. Is that true? It is true. Either on a friend's, one of those eight-year-olds that now has their own smartphone at school or whatever, they're, they're, they're being, yeah, they're being shown pornographic images either through their own discovery or through a friend or a buddy or somebody's, you know, older sibling or cousin um, introducing them to a variety of pornographic images by age nine. That was one of those super scary numbers um, for most parents. Jaw dropping. Yeah, you you should see my face. <laughs> like I'm just like the the revolt and disgust in my face and shaking my head at the same time. I just can't even start. Like I I cannot let it in my brain that kids so young are going to be exposed at that age to something they're not developmentally ready for. Okay. So what we need to do before people vomit, like I feel like doing is let us understand where do we have 
control? What can we do to minimize these risks? Yes. You know what? The way I sort of um, boil them down, it's sort of like handily enough, there's sort of six strategies. They don't go one for one, but they're a great way to think about having a family plan. And this is one of those things where it's not going away. It's similar to, um, you know, how your family may approach alcohol use or drug use or, or, you know, like this is, it's, it's dating and sexuality and safety. Like these are conversations that if we stick our head in the sand about, then our, our kids are not prepared. They're not prepared to find balance, to find moderation, to, to, to learn what, how to keep the good stuff about technology and not get sucked into the parts that are brain changing and life changing and depression causing. Um, so Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to just know from the audience, like how many people right now want to stick their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 like, just let's ignore it. So go away. Right. These are, these are tough conversations. They definitely are. Or you hear a lot of people say, well, not, no, not, not my kid or, you know, oh, and, and I think it's, they, they are hard conversations and they're hard behavioral changes because it's really, honestly, mm-hmm. it's an intervention for the, for the whole family because yes, there is some evidence that um, for developing brains, what we just know, right, is that your frontal cortex, that's the part of your brain that controls impulses, helps with thinking and reasoning, that's not fully developed until 25. And so we have reason to believe that, that any, like the technology use is potentially most brain changing prior to age 25 and and yet at the Mm -hmm. same time our brains our adult brains can also benefit um and here's the bonus most uh, families will see the other quote benefit is like attaching connecting with your kids because we have all Mm -hmm. seen you you know described where there's four people in a room all on a different screen is not uncommon at all or two screens right the two screen phenomenon that our kids have going Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. at once and so yeah so this is a it's sort of like a family you know boot camp so what do we do we can't stick our head in the sand we can't shut off, you know, technology till the end of time. But there are a couple of strategies. And the, the, the first one that I say is sort of pivotal is just really honestly having real conversations and talking with your kids, not at them. Um, Mm -hmm. And and really honestly laying it out for them, giving them the research that, that, you know, brain changes are happening. um, And that mood changes that kids, we know kids are, less happy. Gaming, for instance, um, there's a little bit of a tipping point. We have been able to see that an hour or so, hour or two maybe of gaming, kids do feel more socially connected. They make friends online who were genuinely people they check in with every day. Beyond two hours, we're seeing um, concrete. The research is showing um, difficulty. So talk to your kids. Then you're, then you're modeling that you're being reasonable. You're thinking through this with them. Yeah. You are... Yeah coming to inform decisions it's, it's safety it's like making your kid wear a seatbelt or like um yep. you know sending having a plan about where your driver is going to I and mean, it's it's safety and planning and and it's it's our job that even though it makes us you know a pain in their butt that it is protection really it's protection you know what what happened in our family I did talk to my kids about the screen time and the brain changes and um my seven-year-old came to me one night and he goes mom 
I think I'm going to take a break from YouTube. And he goes, I think I'm addicted. <laughs> and it was so sweet because I think he was thinking about his relationship to tech, right? And whenever they're like, what? The power's out. We can't have iPad. Or they're, you know, they're upset about something. We pause and we're like, what does that say about your relationship with tech? Um, and I could do better. Well, we're, uh, my friends get mad at me because they think I'm too stingy with um, <laughs> with tech, but um, but it's important. And I think the fact that a seven year old even understands you can have an unre- unhealthy mm-hmm. relationship with tech, I think, is a good start. Yes, and it, so it's conversation, right? It's this we there's there's no guarantee, but if you stay connected to your kids and in conversation about the risks, and and there are there are ways to talk to nine year olds about pornography and twelve year olds. Um, there, we, we just know, and that's, you know, it's funny, we started to talk about it. And then the, the risk with pornography, a lot of folks, just to, to sort of reiterate people, the common risk people think about with too much porn, pornography watching is, it'll change how my child relates to the humans in their life. And it will change their expectations about what dating and intimacy are going to be like. And it will set them up uh, to not be able to function healthily in real relationships. Well, again, to sort of be startling enough to push parents to have these conversations, it um, pornography and the images are, are very, very um, likely or can over time create that same or light up that same pleasure center and pleasure pathway and reward centers and and really truly be addictive so that more and more imagery is necessary more and more um uh uh, i don't want to say necessarily graphic but more changing imagery more um intense imagery is needed to create the same sort of um reaction in your body and that we know that over time uh, ongoing pornography use is clearly related to depression that they that people who are truly porn addicted rather than just experimenting in moderation um, end up with significant depression and and difficulty finding their baseline of joy and happiness and they may have other physiological um reactions to this so it's just it's not just about hey your view of dating is going to be warped it is you're you're actually here's here's maybe one of the scariest things about all this whether it's gaming or pornography or online shopping the best understanding we have of brain science is that if your kids are doing a ton of these things in adolescence, they're almost priming. They're priming those addiction um, uh, pathways mm-hmm. for like, so they're, they're, mm-hmm. it's like they're, you know, they're setting it up, they're digging those groups, they're digging the tunnel, they're creating a path, paving the way so that their body goes to that response Um the similarly later. So when they drink or do drugs or do other things that, that, that it, that it's familiar that we've already exercised the muscles in, the, in those centers and sections of the brain so much that it's easier. Plus, if you have a family history, just to give a nod to that quickly, what we know is that for families who have addictions in them, and, and by, if anybody out there knows a family without addictions in them, have them call me because I'd like right. them to be part of the study. <laughs> right. right. I was just thinking, how many people in my family have died from addiction? Yeah. Let me just count. And we do know that yeah. it sets, it, it does. Like when you're looking at some of these 
um, porn use, gaming, um, shopping, the online, but gambling, the online behaviors that can become addictive. We do know that you can have a predisposition to get in trouble with those faster habit behaviors. You, you, some people really are just wired and born and it runs in families to, to quickly struggle with moderation. So if you have a family, if you're in a family for whom, um, you know, habit behaviors have caused problems, then it is important to have conversations with your kids and keep your eyes open because it is true, as with many other things that can become habits, some people are not as prone to getting sucked in as other people are. Mm -hmm. So it's great to know your kids. So um, so yeah, having frank conversations about that with your kids. There are ways to talk to kids about um, pornography, and that's one of the things I do is real conversations with kids at different ages to explain to them both the way the images is, are impacting them with um, you know, emotionally and socially, in addition to what we know about how their body is going to respond to them over time. All the while not shaming, right? I mean, again, the reality is we want kids to have a healthy exploration of what their dating and intimacy life is going to look like. There's lots of different views and values around pornography. Every family gets to decide that for themselves. Um, and what we know is if, if, it, it, pretending that your kid's not going to see it, pretending that you're not going to have to have conversations with them about it doesn't, doesn't serve your kids and may actually set them up. So, um, yeah. yeah, the first recommendation for dealing is Frank talk about each of those six ricks, like literally go down the line. Here's what you need to know about. Yeah. Let me know. Here's what you need to know about. Um, you know, and so there's great, like for the compare and despair. There are great little quick videos out now that really highlight how much photoshopping there's being done. And the, you know, all of these things that we know aren't real that our kids may not yet know how to think about critically. So there's lots of great resources out there, um, compiled lists of resources for parents to be able to sit with their kids, specifically have things that you can sit down with your kids and, and the, and they act as conversation starters. So somebody's already done the work to figure out how to talk about this. And then um, you, you can just take it from there with your kids. So, so I'm just wondering, um, I still kind of feel like vomiting, but I am very proud. I have to say, thanks to the conversation that we had in preparation for our conference that we did in Families in Global Transition, I learned a lot from you. And I have had almost every single one of these conversations with my kids. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad that I'm starting now and not, you know, in 10 or 15 years, but I'm wondering how, like, when should we start having these conversations? I know that you should tailor how you talk about it based on their age, but when is the earliest we can start? I don't, I think that there's, when we look at use, for instance, um, and this will answer your question too, but to say right now, the best, um, guidelines we have are that nobody under the age of two or three should be on a screen. The, mm -hmm. the, the, Ooh, and I have seen the opposite, right? Have you been to a restaurant and yeah, seen 18 month olds on the iPad? Yes. Yeah. And I, right. Like, yeah. Hey, there are certainly ways that it, that it would work and would have worked for me. But we know that because of the way that the, the brain bridges are exploding at that time mm -hmm. and just bursting onto the scene that when they're not being stimulated through engagement with the environment and peekaboo games and changing, you know, that, that, that we lose really important mirror neurons. That's a, a whole other gobbledygook conversation other than to say, mm -hmm. 
key developmental things don't happen if your kid's not getting the direct interface with others and if we're starting to use that pleasure reward immediate gratification center. So zero to two. So no restaurants. No restaurants (laughs) until after they're three. (laughs) Right. And it's so hard. And the plane trips. Also the plane trips, right? Plane trips are are key key, uh, um, uh, screen time, which we all understand. And so, so yep. moderation again is the key, right? So, but typically yep. under zero, two to three, it's actually the one area there isn't much room for moderation. It's like, mm, those kids really should not have access to five to 12. Mm-hmm. The best data we have says no more than two hours. Um, and then the- so hold up, no more than two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that includes school screen time, right. play screen time. And I'm, I'm assuming collectively over the weekend too, sometimes people watch more on the weekend. Yes. No more than two hours. Okay. And, the, and, and, the, and, and it is, it does stand to reason, right? I mean, if your kid is building, if your kid is in the building, you know, wing of Minecraft, if they are actually creating and dreaming and stacking things up and right. And, and designing you, it, Yes, it stands to reason that that will be slightly, quote, better for them than, right, watching somebody watch somebody watch somebody on a passive YouTube channel for, you know, whatever random challenge is happening or whatever. What do you think about random tech checks? Yes. So that is one of the things. And here's so so. In, in answer to how soon to talk about, it can never be too soon. And I do want to say that in school, I think naming like, hey, that's plenty of kindergarten. That's plenty of screen time. We're going to get out and move our bodies and get the wiggles out. Um, you know, I mean, I think just naming for kids that this is something in our life we can enjoy and too much is not best for our growing brains and bodies starting very young, um, getting increasingly frank. So I don't think it's ever really too young. Um, for mm-hmm. her to talk about it. And similarly, setting the tone early in your family for the fact that, um, that yeah, to have transparent checks, that it's just something you reserve the right as a parent to do. And yeah. a lot, this makes a lot of parents nervous. It makes a lot of parents really nervous. And interestingly enough, I see it make especially expat parents nervous. I think there's another little phenomenon that we talk about where sometimes, not all the times, you know, with everybody moving, that parents sometimes um, parent apologetically around mm-hmm. technology. Like, ah, my kid, there's nothing. We can't really do anything here in the city because of traffic or because of, you know, we, we tell ourselves genuinely that, that gosh, we got our kids in this situation and tech makes them happy. And, and you know, all right, I'll just, I'm just going to say yes. I'm, I'm going to say yes mm-hmm. because I know they're having a hard time or I want them to be happy. And, and it's been equally hard in my experience for parents to understand, yet, you know, two things are true. You can actually take your kid's device. You can. You can limit the time on it. You can take it. You can um, also let them know there are going to be checks. And I think if the checks are framed in a way ahead of time, again, that it's part of safety and that it's part of developing brains. Like, I'll talk to teenagers. Look, so here's the deal. Yeah, you're capable of doing tons of things. And you still need some support in some areas. And here's what we know, um, that that this is just for transparency and conversation because I don't want to be functioning in a gotcha kind of way. I don't no, want to wait right. until – and that's what – that's what I see more parents. I see parents get themselves into a ton of tight spots because they do a check, but they're not transparent about it. 
Now they have mm-hmm. information that they got from the check and they have to let their know let their kid know that they were sneaky or they have to figure out like I've seen parents do incredible mental gymnastics to try to figure out how to let their kid know they know something without telling them how they know it. <laughs> right. Well, um, I'm really transparent with my kids about checking and I'm hoping that the intention is if they know I can check. Mm-hmm. If they know we can go back and look at histories, right? We've got friends who've got really good tech skills. If they know that, that may steer them to make better choices. Yes, and it will stay. And, and the hope is too that it will also be points of conversation. That each of those is an opportunity to have a. Con- I noticed this, or hey, I noticed mm-hmm. you wiped out everything you were looking at. <laughs> Let's talk right. about that, right? Like, and. and and, and I think if you, it, it, that's an easier conversation to start earlier, right? I know there's parents out there who are like, great. So my 17 year old, I'm going to sit them down and tell them I'm going to scroll through their, you know, chats and, and texts or whatever. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's never too late to have a conversation about the fact that you're not saying that you're going to sit down every night and pour over their personal information. You are going to, you know, you reserve the right to be able to monitor it. And it's like supervising, uh, other behavior, it's curfews, it's, it's, it's um, checking in about safety and dating and all these other things. It, it really is a safety, safety tool in terms of right. every family finding their way around. But yes, I am, I am not opposed to it. I think if you're going to do the checks, and again, every family decides, but if you are a family that is going to do the checks, and I recommend them because they're great springboards for good conversation, that they're better off being transparent. They are. Um, that's good. Then catching it later. So yes, that's another. So start early. Let me just check if I've missed something. One, um, stop putting your head in the sand <laughs> and realizing <laughs> yeah. that these things are real, even all six of them, right? It's mm-hmm. the not my kid phenomena is actually happening to lots of kids whose parents think not my kid, right? The next thing is start early with frank conversations mm-hmm. about the risks and the realities, including how our brains change structurally and chemically and the risks around bullying, comparing despair, et cetera, et cetera, all of the things that we mentioned. And then stay connected to our kids in modeling healthy habits yes. around tech, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Um, and so- yeah. And then decide what your family plan is. How are you going to approach tech in your family um, that's uh, so much. And here's the thing, Laura, you are so good at creating scripts for tough conversations. So I want to make sure that people know how to contact you. I know on your Facebook channel, you offer some interesting insight around scripting around various topics. Um, and this is also what you do professionally in your, in your therapy and consulting sessions. So tell us where can people contact you if they want more and they want more direct support from you? Yeah, that's great. Thanks. And yes, I, it's actually one of the things I I love most. I think after 20 something years of working with kids and families, so much of it comes back to, um, you know, I can give information and I can help prepare people. And then I get spend a lot of time responding to parents saying, well, what do I say when? And well, how do I actually talk about that? I'm like, well, great. That is, that's what I do. So yeah, I would, I would welcome people reaching out. Um, my website is, um, the WWDR I mean, sorry, 
drlaraanderson.com, drlaraanderson.com. And I'm on, on Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. And Very good. those are the two ways to reach me. Um, I, yeah, I think all of this is doable. I think, Sunday, the other piece is quickly, the, the only things I would mention really quickly are sleep too, that, that that would be another part. So not to go back and hash all of that over, but there's there's getting getting kids' devices out of their bedrooms, charging them in a common area, and getting them off an hour before bedtime. Because one of the other big areas that we know is impacted, especially for teens, they can't disengage. They're up till two in the morning. It adds to the cranky teenage stuff for sure. So the good news is the take away if folks want to find me to figure out how to have real conversations i do have concrete plans actual tech plans written up for families to think about which pieces fit for them too because there are not it isn't just conversations there are also really different behavioral strategies that the family can practice on a weekly basis too that's wonderful thank you so much i know that this is going to impact tons of families. And I can even just think about um, the last Friday that I had with my family. We didn't watch a movie and we played some stupid charades game and giggled and laughed and had so much fun. And I realized, God, we haven't connected like that in a long time. It's because we didn't do movie night. We did something else. And it's nice to to get back to that again. Like I said, 1982 sometimes. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, actually, in my extended family, we have, and this is probably a great note to end on, forced family fun. <laughs> nothing beats forced family fun like it's just I don't care yeah whine and moan and complain but guess what I am gonna force you to enjoy my company again and I love it yeah yes it's, yes it's a thing it's a thing I'm all about it. it let's do it let's do the forced family fun Friday it's gonna be the new thing <laughs> Awesome. Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. So wonderful to have you again on Expat Happy Hour. For all of you who are listening, um, you can find Dr. Laura's details in the show notes and reach out to her. And I'm so grateful that you stuck with me through even the hard stuff because this is important and our kids matter. So it's worth going through the tough conversations. This is Sunday Schneider Bean, and you've been listening to Expat Happy Hour. Thank you for listening. So there you have it. I hope that this gives you more food for thought for screen use with the children that you love, whether it's your grandkids, your nephews and nieces, your own children, or students in your classroom. Things I'm taking away from today's interview is it is undeniable that boundaries need to be put in place and that communication with these children is central about the use, the quality of programming they're watching, the content itself, and the dangers. And really, really clearly, not being naive to what our kids are exposed to. This is Expat Happy Hour. You've been listening with Sunday Schneider Bean. Thank you for being here. I'll leave you with a quote from Christian Laus Long. Technology is a useful servant, but a dangerous master.